Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of Attendance Bias. I am your host, Brian Weinstein. Today's guest is Fish Twitter mainstay Scott Marks of Fish.net and the Mockingbird Foundation. If you've ever looked up a set list on Fish.net, noticed a tease in the middle of a jam, or discovered a crazy bust-out statistic, Scott is part of the team that keeps track of all of that on Fish.net. He's also widely known on Twitter for tweeting out live set lists at BizArchive, B-I-Z-A-R-C-H-I-V-E. I first knew about Scott years ago when he began to tweet setlist updates in real time on Twitter at shows he attended. Many times his tweets would beat out the official Fish From The Road account, even if just by a few milliseconds, but in this world of on-demand information where we all desire instant gratification for fish, his feed is and was priceless. Once I got in touch with Scott, he was game to come on the podcast right away, but we had a little bit of trouble figuring out which show or jam to select. Scott threw out a whole lot of ideas and dates, but so many of them were already taken on attendance bias that we had to go pretty far down the list until we settled on segments of September 6th, 2015 at Dick's, which featured the famous Thank You Encore, as well as other highlights. I'm glad that's where we ended up because there was so much to talk about in this fun show, even just in its isolated segments. We talked about Fish's rich history at Dick's, themed shows, and even surprising encore stats, plus much more, are all touched on today. So let's join Scott to talk about Bye Bye Foot, long-awaited bust-outs, and why themed set lists mean so much to us as we discuss Fish's performance on September 6, 2015 at Dick Stadium in Commerce City, Colorado. Scott, welcome to Attendance Bias. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me, Brian. My pleasure. I'm excited today to talk about segments from Fish's show on September 6, 2015 at Dick's, where you picked out some of your favorite segments of the show proper, and then we're going to go over the encore, arguably the best one they've ever played, but we'll leave that for later. So to get started, most people would know you from your Twitter feed, but also from Fish.net and the Mockingbird Foundation. Can you give us a little background about the Mockingbird Foundation and what you do for them? The Mockingbird Foundation is a nonprofit that uh, has raised money for music education for kids going back 25 years. And we are approaching $2 million that we've given to schools through grants. And it's run by Fish fans. and. It's been a, a part of the fish community for quite some time. I'm on the board directors for the foundation. I do social media for the Twitter sides. I've been involved with uh, events that we've done in person. We did the screening for the Fish 3D movie after Indio. We had a sample in a jar in Chicago from 2013 and other events that we've done uh, tied into the shows. I'll, I'll volunteer for those as well. I've reviewed grants that have come in in the past. Uh, but my primary role is uh, the social media point. And I think that's appropriate because the way I first became aware of you was through Twitter when you started live tweeting set lists during shows. And for anyone out there who is listening but may not know, what is your Twitter handle? Uh, it's Bizarre Archive. Biz Archive, so B-I-Z-A-R-C-H-I-V-E. And I imagine most people listening to this, I feel like I'm pretty low on the social media fish ladder community. So if you're listening to me or you're aware of me via Twitter, you certainly know about uh, Scott. So I'm curious. I love this access as a fan, not being at a show, but finding out what they're playing song to song. At what point did the idea occur to you to live tweet the set list? So Young Blog going back to 2009 would have like a guest tweeter. So somebody would log into the account and would live tweet the shows. Uh, it's before I had a Twitter account. And so I, I think the earliest show I remember live tweeting from was uh, Halloween set at Indio. Uh, and I, I probably did it like once or twice uh, that summer as well. That was when I, I first got involved with reporting from, from the show. And it was fairly new at that time. Not Twitter necessarily, but the idea of fans getting that real-time information as far as compared to when you and I probably started seeing shows of going to a phone booth at the venue at set break, 
you know, I'm looking at the random piece of hotel stationery, the best Western stationery that we had and jotted down what they played in the first set and calling someone to upload like Andy Gadiel's page. Well, I, I definitely remember in 2000, I would reach out to Brian Reen, who ran uh, fans.com. A P-H-A-N-S. Yeah, that site hasn't been around in a long time, but I, I definitely was doing that after some of the summer 2000 shows. I remember driving down to Hampton uh, with my girlfriend at the time. We stopped about halfway down or a little more, maybe around Baltimore, we stopped. And when we stopped, it was around the time Fish was taking the stage. And I told her, no, you have to drive. So I can look on my phone, my razor, and I can refresh fish.com and see what they open with. Like, it was so exciting to me. What do you think it is about fans and fish knowing first? What do you think it is about our fan base in particular that it's a thrill to find out what they played now or just now at that moment compared to, you know what, I'm going to lay off and I'll find out tomorrow what they played. I think part of it is because it's out there. Other bands, a lot of them don't tweet the set lists. Uh, I can think of some that do like Umphreys and Mo, Government Mule, Disco Biscuits. Uh, so I would imagine it's, it's similar for, for those fan bases where they will, they'll want to know what's going on. Fishes just seems to be more of a more followers or more fans or not to discount the other bands at all. With these bands, you're you're playing different stuff every night. And so it's not like you're you're gonna get the same set list. And so the fact that you you could have 200, 230, 50, 60, 70 songs played in a year, um, they'll they'll bust out things, or whatever, and then you kind of wondering, oh well, what they play last night? Maybe I want to know now. And so because it's it's there, people take advantage of it. That immediacy, I think, is part of the culture, too. You know, the kind of a mix of FOMO and being the first on your block to find out. I don't know what it is about fish, but I still feel it after all these years. And you tweet in real time, basically, while you're at the show. Do you ever get distracted like the way i always picture you is like you see it almost as a mission because like you're looking at your phone and you have to tap it out as soon as you hear the notes do you feel that way or am i way off if it becomes a distraction i i put the phone away for example if i somebody puts me on the rail for a song or two and i'm not gonna have my phone out really get into the moment and not that i don't get into the moment when i'm not up close if there's a, a new year's gag going on i will stop what I'm doing and just take it all in. And then maybe 15, 20 minutes later, I will circle back and, and fill in the blanks. Uh, so at that point, it's not in real time, but you know, I, I, I do want to enjoy myself in the show. You're looking at tweeting out a song. It takes five seconds to do versus notes as to, well, all right, Trey's stuck up on top of the stage for rescue squad or, dancers that come out or clones or, or whatnot. So it's, it's different where you kind of want to take that whole thing in because it's, it's different and unique versus just, all right, they just played Longboy, they played hydrogen or <laughs> week or something. And it's, it, again, it takes a couple of seconds to, to tweet out and then put the phone down and, and enjoy the show. When I live tweet, it's not that I'm not enjoying the show. It's just something that I always think kind of keeps me grounded into what's going on. Um, I, I feet on the ground, if you will. So I, if I didn't like doing it, I wouldn't do it. Has it ever happened that you felt more of an obligation to tweet than you're able to stay in the moment? Or are you just completely able to separate those two things? Doesn't impact me at all. I don't really get into conversations when I live tweet. And I also keep the phone as dark as it's going to go. So it's not going to be bright and interfering with other people. Um, I really want to blend in to what's going on as much as possible. Now, obviously, if I have the phone out, I'm not completely blending in. But you know, if it's out for a couple seconds and the phone's down, um, it's really not that much. Has Fish ever stumped you with a song? Like aside from the first time they've ever played a new debut, like I think when they played Bliss, I think it was a few years ago. Uh, maybe it was during the New Year's run, or when they played Glide Two in the middle of a Mike's groove. Like, have you ever? I had to ask someone around you, what song are they playing? 
Uh, in the 90s, I did uh, when I was still learning the songs, the first couple of shows, especially my first show. Um, I, I definitely was asking what was going on. Um, I mean, now I, I don't need to ask because if I don't know what it's going to be on Fish from the Road. That's um, true. Yeah. But in terms of being stumped, Mock Song is not one of my common songs I'm very familiar with. And so sometimes it takes a, a couple of measures or uh, a bit to remember what that one one is and I think Bye Bye Foot in Providence in 2019 took a little bit as well because again I hadn't played in so long and again it's not a common song so it's very rare that it, I'm not right on the go to have the song well in any case Scott we got to know you a little bit as a as a personality at least as a fish fan uh, tweeting personality but let's get to know a little bit about your background as a fan with the attendance bias lightning round. Attendance bias lightning round. So Scott, when was your first show? Uh, 11, 26, 97. Oh, that's a classic. Harford Civic Center. Yeah. What are some of your uh, impressions of it? Your best memories? You have that monster character zero to start out the second set. The, uh, the 2001, the cities and the MR, uh, some gr- great segues mixed in there. And, and then you have um, the opening tweezer to start things out, too. The show was right in the middle of Fall 97, uh, which is my favorite era of fish. I am glad to have caught at least one show from, from, from that month's month plus tour. How familiar were you with the band going in? Uh, very familiar. I, I had gone into them three years ago, uh, spring of 94, and I had, I think, most if not all their CDs at that point and had a couple of tapes. And so I, I had wanted to go the year before when I wasn't around. I uh, played in Hartford 96 as well. So I, I, I had wanted to go for a while before I actually saw my first show. What's your most recent show? And what did you think of it? Uh, my re- most recent show was Halloween uh, in Vegas. And that was the sci-fi soldier set uh, in the middle of that. And uh I felt that it's uh, another turning point in fish history where you're going to see these songs starting to appear this year. And um, it'll be very interesting to see how they're woven into the set list and the songs become jam vehicles. You've got a time machine. You can go back to witness any fish moment on stage or off. Where or when do you go? I'd probably want to be at that first show uh, with the hockey sticks for the microphones and the UVM dorm uh, to, to witness that piece of history. If I knew what I knew now and I could go back and see that, I'd love to see them at Nectar's. Uh, I'd love to uh, see them at the, the first Halloween show, the Glen Falls with the, the White Album. So, But I had to choose one of the probably the first. I just want to be there for posterity's sake and to, to witness what was going on. I wouldn't want to interact with the band. I would just want to, to, to be there and see everything that happened. And make sure that they don't put Thriller on at the break. Make sure they say, no, 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 this band's really good. Let's keep them. <laughs> like the Next butterfly time. effect, right? Where you, you completely change history. Yeah, we got to start a new show that's like... Um, Quantum Leap. Quantum Leap, right. You could Quantum Leap and you could be right. one of the guests at the at the first first jam, first show. Next up, this is a safe space. Your most controversial fish opinion. I really like Jennifer Dances. I don't think it's that bad. I also like Dr. Gable when they played it. That's my most controversial opinion. Because I know a lot of people <laughs> don't like Jennifer Dances. I, I can't say that I secretly love it because I, I post about it a couple times a year. Yeah, I, I realize that's kind of a cheesy song and the lyrics aren't that great but the melody i, I guess I, I kind of like it so i'm in the jennifer dances camp you know i think they've really embraced cheesy lyrics and big power chords lately so maybe it's time for a jennifer dances comeback you never know what is your most controversial opinion i am not a huge fan of walls of the cave i had maybe it was issues with myself during 2.0 but i thought that a lot of the songs during round room I think a lot of people who feel the way now about a lot of the newer, like Big Boat and Soul, Ocean, Love, 
light, like a lot of those songs that have that motif or those themes. I feel that way about a lot of songs from 2.0. So it took me a long time for Waves, for Walls of the Cave, Seven Below. I just never attached it, not attached to them. So Walls of the Cave, I could take it or leave it. Oh, a decent amount of shows in 2.0, all the ones in 2004 outside of uh, Letterman and a handful of 2003. So the song has definitely grew on me through through those shows. And I think with Walls of the Cave, it has a special significance with the ties to uh, 9-11. Uh, and so kind of hits home uh, in, in terms of being more meaningful than uh, than other songs. For me, what it's been is the sound quality. I think in 3.0, their in-house sound has been better for a lot of 1 and 2.0. And then when they get into that big Silent Trees ending, now it's grown on me. Because to me, it sounds more like a big arena rock band than for whatever reason, it didn't sound that way to me back in 2003 and 2004. So it's grown on me, but that's my most controversial opinion as of the moment. So you didn't expect to put on the hot seat yourself now, did you? No, I'm the host. When Nobody you start puts the own- host on the hot seat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you start your podcast, give me a call and then you could you could drill me on this. Uh, do you woo or do you not woo? I do not woo. What's your favorite spot inside the venue? Uh, I would say dead center is close as I can get. You see the acronym SOAM on a set list. Is it scent of a mule or is it split open and melt? That's a tough one. Uh, word association, I'd I put uh, melt. How many claps in stash? Three. Really? I always grew up with two. I always thought from a live one, I thought it was two. I don't clap during stash, so. Oh, um, do you yell? This isn't on the list, but do you yell during hood? Sometimes. Oh, okay. What's your favorite post-show snack? Are we talking on the lot or like in a convenience store? Wide open question. On the lot, after you've left the show, you have your druthers. I don't know. I Maybe a slice of pizza out in the lot. Um, I, I usually um, have eaten at some point in the night. I, I try not to do a lot of late night eating if I can avoid it. And finally, what's the weirdest thing you've ever seen at a fish show? I don't know. <laughs> Get back to me on that one. When was this show played? So looking at today's choice, you chose September 6, 2015 at Dick's. And my usual question is, why do you have a tendency bias toward this pick or toward this show? Let's just reveal, we went, we were going back and forth for a little while, for about a week or a week and a half. So we settled on this show. And rather than go through an entire show, you pick some highlights And then we did the thank you encore. And we'll get to that in a minute. But let's just take a look at where Fish was when Dix in 2015 came around. So this was the fifth customary end of summer Labor Day weekend at Dix for Fish, number five. And by this point, it had established itself as a can't miss event for Fish along the lines of Halloween, New Year's Festival. Dix has, by this point, kind of established itself right up there. So my understanding, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, that Dix established itself. It's a unique venue choice of a soccer stadium. Fish doesn't play venues of that size that often. Uh, with a huge capacity, I think I found that it's up to 27,000. Its location is near a major American city that has plenty of lodging, travel. And for some reason, the band just crushes it there. Superlative playing on par or better than I would argue some MSG runs of recent years. And the most fun part to me is that there's always some sort of themed set list throughout uh, for at least one of the shows or one of the sets. Is there anything I left out for dicks? No, I, I think you kind of have to look at it into two halves. The, the first really is the, the first five years uh, where you had that cellist theme and then uh, everything else afterwards has been more or less just a, uh, a typical three-day weekend for fish. They they stopped doing the themes after this show, uh, the thank you show, 
pretty much until uh, the Vegas shows this past fall uh, when they did a full set list theme again where um, you could look at a set list and see right off the bat by the, the names of the songs that they had a theme going. It's uh, it's still a destination for a lot of fans though because it's it's been that end of the the summer celebration. It's not not really a festival, but I mean, for for years you had camping uh, outside until the, the until plague, the plague. <laughs> uh, that that took care of that. So there's no more camping for the most part. If you want to go, you're usually able to get a ticket because it's, it's such a large venue. It, 25, 30,000 people, as opposed to where they play in the past in Morrison at Red Rocks, where that's what, seven, 8,000 people. Uh, it's a lot harder to get everybody in there. You lose some of the sound quality going from Red Rocks to a soccer stadium, but you get a lot more people that are able to go experience it. Um, so it's been a very special experience. And along those lines, I've got the sense from talking to people, including Stephanie Jenkins, who I believe is also a member of the Mockingbird Foundation. She was one of my first guests on this show. And she chose, I forget which show, I'll have to go back and correct myself. It might have been the Fuck Your Face show. And I got the sense from her and others that it's kind of developed this family reunion vibe at Dick's, that everyone knows the dates it's going to be. Zooming out a little bit in 2015, that summer was a banner tour for Fish. I saw a lot of shows that summer. I was coming off a divorce. And so I was like, I'm spoiling myself to no end. I'm going to go to every single show I could see. And so in 2015, there was there were new venues being played. Um, Ascend Amphitheater in Nashville was brand new when they played it. Uh, too many jams to mention. Magnaball. Uh, it seemed like they couldn't miss, and that's not even counting fairly well. You know, everything was hitting on 2015, and everyone was certain as Dix was approaching that they were going to blow the roof off. What would they spell? What kind of games would they play? And I also remember that the first two shows, people were bitching online all over the place. They're not spelling anything. This run is the worst of all the Dix runs. I have to imagine there it was a different vibe. Do you remember? I don't think it, the vibe was that it was the, the worst of the Dix runs. You know, once you realized Friday night that they're not doing the theme, you move on um, and you, you go and enjoy the show. And then, as we know, nothing lasts forever. And um, we were lucky to have the, the first four years that we had a theme that Friday night, which made what happened Sunday all that much more special. You now, you try not to go into a show with expectations because then, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen and you don't want to get disappointed if you're going to walk in there expecting a game bench and you know, get 10 random songs. That's probably a very stretch there for a game bench. But, you know, again, if you're expecting like a two 20-minute jam to show up in the show and you get a bunch of eight or nine-minute songs or you expect the eight or nine minute songs, you get the 20 minute jams. You know, you just never know what's going to come out the door when the, the lights go down. And that's why we keep going back. So, Scott, where were you in the summer of 2015 that led you to Dix? It was the annual tradition. So, I, I'd flown out and did the, the Dix shows. Uh, I had done Magna Ball and uh, some East Coast shows that year. So, again, like everyone else, the the show at the end was kind of the shows at the end were that that coda to the summer. You chose the landlady from set one, down with disease and Piper from set two, and then the entire encore. And when I saw you pick the landlady, my first question immediately is, did you pick it because of the fact that it was a huge bust out? This was played for the first time as a standalone song. Since December 3rd, 1994 in San Jose, 768 shows. Yeah, I mean, it's something that it was kind of like a, wow, it's just really happening moment. You can't believe your ears when those first notes come out and they're, they're actually doing it. Something that I figured I was never going to see and then all of a sudden there it was. And so it was, it was a monumental start to the, the show, which kind of stands out from other songs and set that were more commonplace from that tour. 
I've had that feeling so many times where it's almost like a dream you didn't know you had comes true right in front of you. When I saw them play Sparks on December 30th, 2016, I think it was at Madison Square Garden, my whole world exploded. I didn't, I thought it was over. I thought that they, aside from the S show at Dick's, actually, I didn't think that they'd ever play it again. That bust out feeling, it really carries a lot of weight with me. Uh, so set two, I think it's the second song they played Down With Disease. What are your impressions of this? I have a ton of notes with Down With Disease, but what are your musical thoughts or memories of it? I would probably put this Down With Disease as the song, the, the one song that I've played the most in the last six years plus. While it's not the, the best jam or even the best disease of the 3.0 era, uh, in my opinion, it's my favorite. I think it's it's special when you have the, the band, um, in this case, Trey, developing something mid-song, uh, a riff, and letting it go and, and watching it grow. And it's, it's kind of happy, upbeat music. And it's something I would go outside for a run or if I'm kind of having a day where you know, I'm not in the best mood, I'll put the disease on and then just kind of always uplifts you a little bit. And I remember at the start of the pandemic, when things were shutting down two years ago, I wasn't having a great afternoon and I, I put the song on and I was kind of like, well, these songs make me happy. And I, I posted out to the Twitter, what songs make you happy? Um, and then for like, I don't know, four or five days, people posted stuff. Um, and then I, I took the songs and I made a giant playlist. And then I gave the playlist back to the community, something that they had built. And I felt it was important to, to have that then. And pretty much in, in general, you find stuff that, that makes you happy, whether it's fish or anything else. And that, that for me, it, it made me feel so good. And I, I wanted others to feel that way and to what songs made them feel really good and to make others feel good. And so it was just kind of a community exercise that didn't start out that way. It's very wholesome. It really is. You know, you don't, you don't get as much Twitter for me and I'm guilty of this as much as anybody is where a lot of people express their snark. And it's really nice to hear something like that. And I, uh, I, I know what you mean. I wrote that at about 10 minutes this I wrote my note is this is what 2015 fish sounds like. Trey pulls it out into bliss jamming. I am here for it. <laughs> Those were my notes. I don't know if it's the part that you're talking about, but it's almost a part where it sounds like they might go into weak groove. It's very rhythm based on Trey's part, at least. You can start hearing it there, and then it gets by the time you're around 11:45, um, the official melody within the jam begins. But it's definitely it's a nice slow build like the piper used to be the slow slow build piper of the intro um and it was kind of the same way with with the disease but you you can definitely feel it coming and and then also boom there it is
that's what I wrote. I wrote it's calm and serene at 12 minutes. And then a progression begins soon. And I hope it continues and goes places. And it does. I, I was just thrilled by that latter half because the, the whole track is about 17 minutes or 17 and a half minutes. And you're right at that 11 and a half or 12 minute mark, things really kick into high gear. And I had this thought, I was listening the other day to some 1993 fish and they were almost like schizophrenic at that time. Uh, the way I wrote it, I described it as a newborn chihuahua. Like just sticking their nose into anything that might catch their attention. But in 2015, they were so patient and delicate. And I'm so glad that this progression flowers by the end of the track, by like 16 and a half minutes, they've capitalized on the whole thing. And this really is a delightful track. I can see why you chose it. It's, it's definitely has as meaning to me and it's just one of the, the many highlights from, from this show. Another highlight that you brought up is Piper. You mentioned a slow build and I was surprised this one has a quasi slow build. There'll be times in the car where I will put on a 97 Piper and just play the intro like four or five times. Maybe I'll, <laughs> maybe I'll get to the actual song and maybe I will. I just, I, I, I miss the intro so much. So any, anytime I get anything longer than the, the super fast intro these days, I'm a happy camp. Well, they're yeah, done. Go ahead. Bring back the, bring back the slow intro, please. I'll, uh, I'll sign on to that petition on change.org. Bring back the slow piper intro. I love that there's a melody or a guitar on the train introduces at about four minutes. It's just bursting with feel good melodies. Is it the same reason you picked this as you picked down with disease? Is it the way it makes you feel? Um, it, it's another high energy moment. And, and Trey starts it, plays it for like 10 or 15 seconds and stops it. And then thinks for like 10 seconds and he goes back into it and, and plays, plays it again. For me, it's just seeing something develop there. You get an idea and you stick with it. Um, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but I think with the disease and the Piper, they, they both definitely, uh, hit their mark. I agree. There's so many times during a good jam where I, where I say to myself, I hope that he sticks with this, you know, I, Trey always, I call it Trey DD, you know, he always, he has something great for like 12 seconds, but then 
he's gone off into something else. And when he, but when he sticks with something that at least to me, the one guy in a crowd of 18,000 or whatever thinks it sounds good. There's nothing that makes me happier than when they stick with it and build on it. And that happens in that Piper in the part that you just mentioned. And then the next part that you chose is the encore. And I think one of the reasons you said to me is because you love themed shows. Um, I think for, for me, when you, you see a bunch of shows for any bands, if you get something that's out of the norm, it kind of sticks out more. It doesn't make it better. It doesn't make it worse. It makes it different and fresh. That encore started with Tweezer Reprise, which they had never opened an encore with that before. And the only time that they've done it since was 12, 31, 19. The Wait, they never opened show. an encore with Tweezer Reprise? They did not. That was the first time. You know, when I had Dave Steinberg on here and I asked him what inspired him to start uh, a stat, like keeping stats, he said, I wanted to match up data with feelings. I'm not quoting him exactly, but I'm paraphrasing. And he said, you know, with the Grateful Dead would be that way too, where they would play Ramble on Rose, you know, to the second song in every set. And you would say, it feels like they always do this. And I wanted to say, but do they really? And kind of match up data with the way it feels. And I'm sure you're correct. But to say that they never opened uh, Encore with Tweezer Reprise. What I had put in my notes is that it was an interesting way to start the encore instead of finishing it. I didn't know at the time that they never opened an encore with it, but I, I did a little homework this afternoon and I preparing for our, our, our podcast tonight. And I You're talking saw to a that, teacher. Yes. I love when they do your homework. <laughs> no. And so, yeah, those are the only two times that it's ever opened an encore um, that in the, uh, the rescue squad show, there are certain things I, I'll know right off the bat that are out of the norm and I might not know at that time how out of the norm it's, you know, I'm not going to sit there and, and thumb, th- thumb through, you know, hundreds of tweezer reprises on my phone to see if it was ever opening an encore. But, you know, when you're sitting at your, your desk after work or at a table, since we're all working from home uh, and then you can go look it up and, Oh, well, there it is. It's never, that was the first time. That's bonkers. Well, I learned something new today. Thank you. Now you're the teacher. And after Tweezer Reprise, I would imagine that a lot of people thought that would be the only song for the encore because these sets were full sets. They were like an hour and 20 and an hour and 19 minutes, something like that. So it's like, all right, Tweezer Reprise encore. They play Tweezer. Makes sense. Let's enjoy it and go home. But then next they play Harpua and holy moly. I would be freaking out. The whole place must have been, right? Yeah, it's kind of like a, a, a holy shit moment uh, yeah. where they're actually doing this. A harpoon with a, a good narration. Sometimes they're, they're hit or miss. This one was definitely uh, a hit. Well, it's, it's, it becomes a theme throughout the whole encore, a half hour long encore. And harpoon is the connective tissue. I just couldn't believe it when I saw it on probably your Twitter feed. And I love that in the beginning, after the the song part is over, Trey says, welcome everyone. It's so good to be back here. And it it just tickled me that it was the encore of the third night that he said, welcome everybody. (laughs) You know, like, like we're all getting ready to go home. (laughs) Hello. Goodbye. Hello. Goodbye. Yeah. I, I thought of you immediately, not just because you picked it, but also when Trey says at three 38, he says, for those of you writing a song list, which I think is cute enough that he calls it a song your, list and not a napkins. I, I, right, right. I used to use the best Western, like uh, state bedside stationery. Uh, but he says Harpua only has to be listed once if you're writing it on the song list. I'm like, huh, that's very particular. So now we see that something's bubbling. When Harpua is in the song list, and this goes for Micah too, if you're listening. You only have to write it once if you're writing your little song list on the napkin or on your phone or something like that. If Harpu is in the song list, you only have to write it once. Thank you. Keep that in the back of your mind. Anyway, as I said, 
The little old man is like a hot guy who lives up in the mountains. He's an evil old guy. He's got this mangy dog. Very mean. People in the, people in the town don't like him very much. And he becomes basically an outcast and he's up in the woods. Meanwhile, the other character in our story, as you know, is the incredible Jimmy. Now, Jimmy... <laughs> Jimmy is not of the mountains. Jimmy is the, the, he's like an East Coast guy who kind of moves out to Colorado. <laughs> and uh, so he's trying to get used to it. Right. And, you know, when we looked back at the, the cellist afterwards, it's not, it's not really thank you. But in order to make it work, you had to make it thank you at that point. So if you started throwing in harpoons outside and then you, you lose the whole message of what's going on and so yeah that's harpua but we're not gonna <laughs> we're not gonna note it in the set list because that ruins it that point. their house their rules and throughout the throughout the narration jimmy you know he wants to sit down and listen to his favorite record all the old records and they start after midnight one of his favorite rock songs from the old days and i don't know talk about this is subjective of course but talking about surprising statistics, I don't know if this song has one of the best this song played at great shows ratios of all time, that it's kind of anointing a show if they play after midnight. Thoughts? It's it's up there. You look at Big Cypress, you look at Manchester 2010. Um, New Year's 2010? That, uh, that, that as well. You look at those shows and they're uh, some epic, epic moments. The uh, Big Cypress is my favorite show. And if we go outside of that into like top five shows that are not big Cypress, Manchester 2010 is, is on that list as well. Definitely a, a special night. They played at the Gorge after JJ Kale passed away. Um, that had special meaning to as well. Moving on, he, Trey says, Jimmy's feeling weird. And this is, I think, the best, the best part of the whole narration in terms of, of laughs. He said he's sucking an oxygen tank. I thought that came because unless I'm wrong, I think this was the year that Fish from the Road published a photograph of Fishman backstage with like a blue velvet sort of gas mask on, of course, because it's Colorado, right? You need the oxygen. But it, I, maybe it was a whole setup to include NO2 in the thank you acronym. I don't know. This is actually, I wrote, it's actually a pretty good narrative. It's better than most 3.0 harpoons. Makes sense to have the tank out there to to do nitrous um, for uh, for the song to have, to have nitrous show up there. Well, that's that the joke, right? He well. says Jimmy says maybe I shouldn't have gotten this tank from a guy in the parking lot at a fish show. Yeah, a little, little tongue in cheek. Yeah. Um, you're you're breaking the fourth wall at that point. You're aware of and what's it, going on. And it goes from No. Two into Keyboard Army, and I figured I should ask you, as a person who's very well versed in set lists. When I was getting into fish and I was collecting tapes, I thought it was keyboard cavalry as kind of a foil to acoustic army. Do you remember that? Uh, is the name was definitely tossed around at some point. Um, you know, keyboard cavalry is definitely somewhere in my my memory bank, but they just ended up doing uh, keyboard army instead. So acoustic and then and keyboard. And I always, I wanted to ask you, what does this look like? Because during their 20th anniversary video in Boston in 2003, I first got to see what Acoustic Army looked like, you know, where they all do the same pause and they rub the neck of the guitar at the same time. It's a whole performance. So Keyboard Army, I guess we'll call it now. Do they all just gather around Paige's setup? Because it, I've exactly. never seen it. Okay. It's exactly what they did. You know, he has keyboards for red lights, and they're all playing in unison. It's just, it was something, again, that I, I never thought I would see because I hadn't played since 1995. And then there it was. Um, so another special moment.
sounds in his mind. And then after a couple of minutes, his head starts to clear a little bit. He starts to feel a little bit better. And the bells start going away. And as he sits there, he looks down to his left and he thinks. I was about to say, they're, you're really knocking them down being in person to see all these rarities from the landlady to keyboard army. You're just, you know, you're just having the greatest time. I would be. I, would, I was having a really good time that night for sure. I put myself in your shoes listening to this because I feel like I have the same sort of personality as you in terms of getting excited for rarities and set list tricks and themed shows that that really speaks to me. And so I could just imagine the thrill of being there. So we got thank done at this point. Did you or those around you realize what's happening in terms of the set list? Yeah, I think you know that you realize pretty quickly that they're spilling something out. Uh, probably by the Nitro side of thing, than. Yeah, realize that something was being spilled, uh, if not sooner. And then obviously by the time K came around, everyone knew. Everybody knew what was going on. I would hope so. And then the next song really gives it away, which is Your Pet Cat, which is a perfect segue. And I really had this question. I don't think anyone knows except the four of them. Did they really plan this out so super far in advance that they saved all these songs for the very tail end of this run? Or I wonder if they just have so many songs and the resources that they could virtually do anything thematically. Hard to say. Uh, Your yeah. Pet Cat works with poster and with the right the, the theme of the, the encore um, and the narration. So all kind of got uh, woven together. And in between Your Pet Cat and Once in a Lifetime, the Talking Heads cover, this is where the harpoon that didn't happen happened. <laughs> right? This is where this is where the asterisk would come in. I'd have to go back and look at the cell list, but there there definitely there was definitely leaked one time where um, you had to kind of fudge it to, to make it work. Right. It happened, but it, you didn't see this. We're the men in black flashing Something your like eyes. That, right. Yeah. And speaking of once in a lifetime, you know, Jimmy thinks, how did I get here? And it's not as tight as when they played Remain in Light. But my thought, even while listening to it, however many years later, is it seems unrehearsed, but I have to imagine that's missing the point anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to, to tell whether... You know, it's rehearsed or not, or if it's just something that's spur of the moment, or maybe a combination to. Well, I guess you can't really have a combination of one or the other. You, you can't tell if, if something's been rehearsed or not, uh, because even if it's been rehearsed, they could still flub it, or it's not rehearsed, they could they could nail it. So I, I think with the Halloween show in '96, that was rehearsed. You have the horns, and you, you know, you're, you really want to get this nailed down to a, a T. If it was rehearsed for for Dix, it might not have been rehearsed as much as Halloween, but you know, even if it wasn't 100%, it was still great to, to hear that come back also. Plus Page, he really, you know, if it wasn't rehearsed, he's the one who really put in the strong effort vocally to make it happen. That was my thought while listening to it. And it's still charming. It's still fun to listen to. They're that same band at the ROTC dance or whatever, where you're time traveling, that they're making the earnest effort, you know, even if they're in a little bit above their head. And to wrap up the whole thing, 
United We Stand by the Brotherhood of Man. Did you know this song? I did not. Neither did I. But what I, I don't think I've heard sentiment. it since outside of Fish. But there it was, and it worked. Yeah, and it's a very sweet sentiment. Yeah, I mean, it was a special way to close out the show, the tour, and the community does stand united quite quite often as well. So it was a, it was a perfect end to it all. Thanks. so so beautiful and so unique you know like so i mean i know we're up here playing the music but this is kind of um, a chance to say that to you we talk about it a lot backstage and like you know at the festival and i did here at dicks and um it's just such a good feeling you guys are kind of creating it all so uh, we feel like we're a small part of that whatever that is you know and uh we want to thank you guys really for the bottom of my heart so it was a great summer, and uh, we can't wait to catch up with you on the journey, wherever that goes next. Know, Mexico or whatever. But you know, there'll be a lot more. Hopefully, we'll be back here again. favorite part of this and i don't know if trey's done this since and i don't think he's done it before he thanks the crowd which of course he's done a billion times but he even thanks couch to our crowd we count you do count i thank you <laughs> thank you now i can retire well, uh, but I, I guess i'm on the couch too so yes we count i'm <laughs> <laughs> on the couch right now it was a very sweet thing. Very sweet thing to acknowledge the, the fans who are supporting, even though they can't be there for the attendance bias. So, Scott, thanks so much for joining us today on attendance bias for going over sections and the entire encore, the thank you encore from September 6, 2015 at Dick's for all the hard work you do, uh, even though it's not work you, you wouldn't do it if you didn't love it as you said of tweeting out set lists in real time the work you do for fish.net the mockingbird foundation bless all of you and of course thank you for being patient with me and being able to narrow down a show that you could speak of and i really appreciate you being here brian it was my absolute pleasure thank you so much for having me tonight and that's it for today's interview with scott marks and when you're talking to a guy who's on the team for set lists at fish.net, you got to make sure that you get your facts straight. So now it's time for the attendance bias fact check. Attendance bias fact check. When I asked Scott if Fish ever stumped him during a live show when he was tweeting, I brought up the times when Fish played Bliss during a New Year's run after a very long time, as well as when the band played Glide 2 in the middle of Mike's Groove. Both of these rarities were played on the same date, December 30th, 2018, at Madison Square Garden. 
It was the live debut of Bliss after first appearing on Billy Breathes, and Glide 2 was indeed played in the middle of a mic's groove for the first time since May 16, 1995 at the Voters for Choice show in Lowell, Massachusetts, or 872 shows. Scott later brings up that Mock Song might stump him for the first few seconds, which is quite understandable, since Mock Song has only been played three times ever. July 12th, 2003 at The Gorge, August 21st, 2015 at Magnaball, and on October 19th, 2018 at the Hampton Coliseum. Finally, in that part of the conversation, Scott mentioned that he was a little stumped on Bye Bye Foot in Providence in 2019. That was on November 29th of that year, and it was played for the first time in 704 shows. It has only been played once since Providence on October 23rd, 2021 in Chula Vista. Although Scott's first show was during the Fall 97 tour in Hartford, he mentioned that he previously wanted to see the band in Hartford in 1996. That show was on October 23, 96. Had he gone, he would have seen Bob Gulati on a second drum set and an unbelievable-sounding second set, including Brother, Tweezer, Lizards, Llama, Slave to the Traffic Light, and more. When talking about why Dix is such a special venue in the Fish universe, I named Chuck Dr. Stephanie Jenkins, who chose a show at Dix for her spot on attendance bias, but I was unsure exactly which show she chose. I was wrong because I guess the Fuck Your Face show at Dix from 2012, I was off by a year. Stephanie actually chose the show from September 2nd, 2011, during which Fitch played an entire show consisting of songs that began with the letter S. And for the record, her episode was not one of the first attendance bias episodes. It was actually the 32nd episode of this podcast. As always, thank you to Dr. Jenkins for all of her amazing hard work with the Mockingbird Foundation and within the Fish community at large. When discussing the encore, I brought up the idea that After Midnight is almost always played at great shows. For your consideration, here is every show where Fish has played the J.J. Cal Classic. First, it debuted on December 31st, 1999 at Big Cypress. It was played on October 26, 2010 in Manchester, New Hampshire, which was a show that was covered on this podcast with guest Donnie B, co-host of Female Centrics. It was played on New Year's Eve 2010 at Madison Square Garden, which was the famous meat stick extravaganza show. It was played on May 31st, 2011 in Holmdel, July 27th, 2013 at The Gorge, which Scott mentioned. Today's show, September 6, 2015 at Dix, and most recently, December 8, 2019 in Charleston. Scott mentioned that up until this show, Keyboard Army hadn't been played since 1995. The exact date of its prior appearance was December 14, 1995, and that was at the Broome County Veterans Memorial Arena in Binghamton, New York. And that's it for today's episode of Attendance Bias. Thank you for joining me today. I'd like to thank Scott Marks of Fish.net and the Mockingbird Foundation for joining me. Fish.net itself for providing all the information we needed for the fact check and otherwise. And Fish.in for a great recording of the music used in today's episode. If you enjoy Attendance Bias, please support the show by leaving a rating and a review on your favorite podcast app. And reach out to me on social media, usually on Instagram and Twitter. If you say hello, I'm happy to send you a free sticker. Thank you again so much for listening, and I'll see you next week on Attendance Bias.